I just want to tell you my story. So I never grew up in church. I didn't have anything to do with church. I had a great privileged lifestyle, and by the age of 11, I was playing football for Derby County. So I didn't have anything to do with church. My life was set. I knew which direction in life I was going. I had coaches telling me that you just carry on the way you are. You won't need to do anything else. So I really stopped trying at school also, because I could just go into school and say, I've got training tonight, and they would release me from school, and I could just leave. It was great. <laughs> I'm not recommending that to the young people in the church, because you'll hear my story. It wasn't a great thing now. But, um, so what I did, I just lived my life for football. Some of my friends went to church, and I used to just look at them and say, you're crazy. Why do you believe in something you can't see? Why do you go and raise your hands to something that you don't even hear from? Why do you do all of this? Fast forward a little bit now, and I get to where I'm quite disobedient. And because I turned to when I now got my first professional contract, I played for the first team, and I was in the reserves as a fixed member of the team. But I was still in my teens, and my team that was under 21, who I'd grown up through the ranks with, was playing a game at Wolverhampton in the semi-final of a cup. I really wanted to play in that game because I'd grown up with these guys. So I went to the game. Now, I'm not going to mention any of the coaches' names because some of them are still in football now. But one of them looked me in the eyes and said, do not play in that game. You're playing at the weekend, you can't play in that game. So I looked him in the eyes and said, okay, I won't. I had every intention of playing in that game. I even took my boots. It didn't matter what he said I was going to play because these were my friends. And then I turned up to the game and another coach who's still in football who also had the same command from the older coach said, have you brought your boots? I said, yeah. He said, well, what was 60 minutes hurt? He said, let's play. Man, I had the greatest first half I've ever played in. It was amazing. And I scored, and it was great. Everything was going well, and we was due to be taken off on 60 minutes. And I thought, no one will ever know. No one will know that I've played. But then on the 60th minute, just before, uh, on the 55th minute, just before the 60th minute turned, I ended up in a tackle that I never should have been in the game. So my own disobedience ended my football career. Because in them days, when you got the knee injury that I had, they didn't have keel surgery like they have now. They had rehabilitation. And every time they tried to rehabilitate me, bless them, they didn't have to because I was disobedient. But they stuck by me for another year after the injury and tried to rehabilitate me. My knee just swelled up and just instantly cracked. But bear in mind, I'd signed my first professional contract, so I was on good money. So I had the lifestyle to go with it. I thought I was a cool young guy, so I went to the A-list parties. I took the A-list drugs. I took the A-list alcohol because I had nothing else in my life. Everything was taken away that I ever thought I knew. I hadn't tried at school, so there was nothing to fall back on. But I had friends in high places. So I went to all of these parties and I took the drugs that went along with it. Do you know the very moment that all the money ran out, I realised who my friends were. And not one of them was my celebrity circle that I was mixing in. I never heard from them again. I never saw them again. I didn't even get how are you or anything of that sort. The moment I couldn't afford to go to the A-list party, I was from A-list to D-list overnight. So I thought, okay, I need to really think about what I'm going to do. So I went down the career route and I worked at the very bottom. I started off sweeping floors, but I ended up in a very good position for a very large national company. And I thought, great, my life's set again. I don't have to worry. But then in 2005, I turned up to work one day and one of our engines was going around the top of the conveyor and it snapped. I had a split second to make a decision because we worked in two, so I was at this moment stood up. But my colleague was bent down on his knees. This engine would have hit him in the face and instantly killed him. 
we'd had that happen in the industry before. It was quite a, the, the nature of the business, we did have fatalities, not all the time, but we did have some. So I took the decision to stand and let the engine hit me in the chest. This engine hit me in the chest and caused a lot of damage, which left me disabled. It left me not being able to walk from here to John without being out of breath. And I lived my life on the highest painkillers. The moment I took a painkiller, I'd just go to sleep because they made me that poorly. It crushed all of the left side of my chest. It caused a disease that sat on my lung forever. And it left a hole in my lung to where they had to keep inflating it. So I've gone from being this fit person to now being in bed three to five days a week, not being able to move. But still I didn't turn to God because I just used to think they're crazy. These guys are crazy. And nobody, if they'd have come and spoke to the scriptures to me, I would never would have listened to them. I'd have just told them to leave. What did I need God for now? Everything. On two occasions was taken away from me because now I had the salary to match the position I had in the business that had gone. So I had nothing again. So to me, if anybody had come and spoke and told me, this is in one job, I'd have said, see you. I'm gone. And I wouldn't have been allowed him in the room. But my wife's auntie was a pastor, which I didn't know. If the ship told me she was a pastor, anyway, I wouldn't have a clue what she meant. So she could have told me. But she used to just speak the scriptures to me, but without telling me they were scriptures. She was quite clever. But she encouraged me. But every time she was with me, I could feel something inside of me that was turning my heart. The only way I can describe it is, you know when you get butter and you first take it home, if you don't leave it out on the side, you can't spread it. But eventually you can spread it. This is how my heart was. But I didn't know why. But I wanted to be around her more and more. So I, but the problem was I lived in continuous pain. And the moment I exerted myself, I was back in bed. I couldn't move. So she used to come to me. Well, I made a decision one day to say to her, you know what, I'm going to come church with you. One Sunday, I never intended on going. I didn't. I just thought by this time I knew what she did. She'd explain what she'd done. I thought, well, she's been quite nice to me. I better give her a little carrot, dangle a carrot. In the industry I came from, that's what you did, dangle people carrots. But it came to where my wife said to me, you need to be a man of your word and go. And any husbands in the room, you know when your wife speaks like that, you know you're going to end up where you've said you're going to go. <laughs> so I was a good husband and I went, okay, let's go. Wow, I got there. And I would love to tell you all. It was amazing. I had a great time. Wow, everything I'd ever thought had just come true. These guys were in there with their arms in the air. But these people are family of mine now. And I used to thought, what are they doing? I can't feel what they're talking about. What are they singing about? Why are their hands in the air? I don't feel anything. This is just a cold place. And I couldn't wait for it to end. And then they said from the front, next week we're going to go to an African church. Before I could turn to my wife and say, we're not going, she turned to me and went, you know we're going to go. <laughs> so I went, yes dear, we can go. But I had every intention of overexerting myself. Because I thought if I just cut the lawn on the Tuesday, my maths from my life now would be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'll be in bed, I won't be able to move. I guess rid of the Sunday. Problem solved. So I did, I cut the lawn. I even chopped down a tree. And I completely overexerted myself. My doctor came out and said, what are you doing? I said, well, they needed to be done. My wife knew what I was doing. But come to Sunday morning, and I woke up feeling fresh as a daisy. I was mortified. Because my wife said to me, oh, we can go. And I was like, yeah, we can, dear. So I was in the car, now driving to Sheffield. And the only thing I knew about these churches now, that an African church, where it was an hour and a half I was bored last time, now I was going to be there for three hours, four hours. What was I going to do for three or four hours? So I just played with my son the whole time. 
and I never gave him a, I didn't even acknowledge anything they were saying. But it came to the moment where he gave an altar call. I couldn't even tell you what he said, but the moment he said, you need to get right with God, my heart felt like it come out of my skin and just landed on the floor. And before I knew it, I was having my son in my arms, my wife who had made me go to these two meetings, I turned to her and said, are you coming? She turned to me and said, no way. So I gave her my son and I went. And I gave my life to Jesus on the 3rd of July, 2011. Now, remember I said I was, on, I was disabled, which meant I had a disability car, I had an incapacity benefit, but live life an industrial benefit because it was an industrial injury, and also a very large compensation claim due to come my way. But this moment, I went and gave my life. Nothing happened at that moment in time. I went back to my seat, and the African pastor, sorry, let me go back. I've missed a little bit, and this could be quite important for those that are in the room that may struggle from hearing from God. So when the African pastor, who's from Zimbabwe, when he first started to say the sinner's prayer to me, I couldn't understand him. So he'd speak, and I would just stand now, embarrassed, at the front of a church, not understanding what the pastor was saying. I couldn't understand because of his broad accent. So I just waited. But then it came to where he spoke again. And as he spoke, I heard a voice behind me. So I spoke back. So my, the way I gave my life went like this. He would speak, I would pause, and then I would speak back. As this voice spoke to me. I turned round to ask my friends who was with me and my family who was speaking. I'd really like to say thank you. And then I felt like all those people I'd ridiculed. Remember the Bible says you sow what you reap? Because they looked at me like I was crazy. Because they said nobody at all had spoke behind me. So not only had Jesus rescued me from darkness, he'd also <laughs> rescued me from the humiliation of not hearing what the gentleman was saying. But then it came to the point where I went and sat back down. And with it being an African church, they gave an appeal for the Holy Spirit. Do you want to be baptised in the Holy Spirit? I'm like, I'm in for a penny, in for a pan. I have no idea what you're talking about, but if sounds cool, I'm coming. And I went forward, and this was key, because I was always disobedient, but now it was time to be obedient to God. And he laid hands on me. I went down to the floor, didn't really understand what was doing, what was happening. I couldn't get back up. I wanted to get back up, but couldn't get back up. Spent a few moments there, and the Lord really did something in my heart, because the very moment I did get up, everything inside of me had changed. I felt for the first time that there was a purpose to my life. I didn't understand what that was, but I felt on the inside it was different. The very moment I went to leave that church and I stepped outside, this inner voice, it wasn't audible in my ears, I just knew it in my heart, but I didn't understand what it was, told me I was healed, do you know, for the first time in then six years. As I walked towards my car, I could breathe. I could breathe, and I was walking further than where I could normally walk. And I wasn't out of breath. But I was still in continuous pain. But nobody could take away my healing. Because this, what was inside of me, I'd never felt before, had told me I was healed. So I just thought, well, this has got to be God. So I held on to that with all my heart. As I was driving home, and I was explaining to my wife what had just happened, the same inner voice came again, really rumbling on the inside. And it said to me, if you keep your disability car, you'll be labeled disabled forever. So I took the decision to ring the government on the Monday. Now for the ones that are older in the room, to get anything off the government is normally quite hard. Try and give them something back. Yeah. <laughs> wow, because they don't want to take it back. So they made me go to a tribunal. <laughs> I had to arrange a tribunal for my own car that they owned to take it back. Now, I loved my car. But I went, and in this tribunal was my surgeon, their surgeon, my doctor, one of their doctors, and a the gentleman, I don't even know what he did, I think he just took notes, 
But it was like I was in front of the firing squad. Because I would say to them, I'm healed, I'm healed. And they would say to me, no, you're not. Now, I grew up in a fantasy land as well from before I was saved. So to lie was quite easy. But then they asked me this question after about 10 minutes. You're not healed. Are you still in pain? Well, I knew I couldn't lie. So I looked at me and I said, yeah, I'm in continuous pain. But I am healed because God has told me. And he said, well, well, you're still disabled. And it went on like that. So I took the keys out of my pocket and I held them over the desk. I said, if you don't arrange to take my car back, I'll just leave it here. I'll leave it with you and I'll catch the bus home. Luckily for me, they arranged to take my car back because I'd never caught a bus in a long time. I wouldn't even know where to go to the bus stop. But the moment that they arranged to take my car back, my pain that was in my chest continually now halved. So then, for me now, I'm like, wow, this is real. If I had any doubts before, I now believe in everything that the Bible says. So I was on fire then for the Lord. I went off to Bible college and I learned that this inner voice was obviously the Holy Spirit. And now I knew what that meant. So I, every time I hear that, I'm obedient. Because he came to about nine months later, and I had this same inner feeling and inner voice come again that said to me, if you receive your money, you will never work again, and you will never be unregistered from being disabled. So I took the decision. I didn't discuss this with my wife. Everything else I had, but this moment, I knew I needed to just do this. This was between me and God. And I took the decision, and I rang the solicitor. And on the day when I rang the solicitor, he'd just received my cheque from the insurance company. So it was quite a temptation, because as soon as I answered the phone, he went, hey, Martin. I went, hey, how are you? He said, I'm good. He said, I'm glad you've rang, because I have your cheque here. And it's now over. And I said, well, I'm glad I've rang then, because you can't send me that cheque. He said, you are. He said, you've worked so hard for it. He said, why don't you want it? I said, I can't receive that cheque. I'm born again, I'm saved, and I'm healed. But if I receive that, I'm labelled for the rest of my life, that I'm disabled. So he said to me, what do you want me to do with it? I said, keep it. Because they couldn't send it back to the insurance company because they paid out. So I gave it my solicitor. So on that day, I gave him 365,000 pounds. But the very moment I did, and this is why obedience is key, because the very moment I did, I put the phone down, I was instantly all painted gone. And now you can watch me in church very poorly, raise my hands in the air because I couldn't before, and dance very poorly because Jesus had rescued me. And he'd set me free. So if I can give you any advice today, whatever miracle you're holding out for, the same Jesus that healed me, that's put me on a plane last year with Jonathan, around 30 times, when they said I'd never fly again, I have no pain whatsoever, and I have medical proof of how I was before and how I am now, is the same Jesus who wants to set you free today. Amen. So if you need healing, if you need emotional healing, it doesn't matter what it is, if you just need a fresh touch from the Lord, today is your day. Today is your day. Now, I held on to my healing when I came against every opposition. Nobody could tell me I wasn't healed. So what are you holding on for now? Hold on for it, because today I believe it can be your breakthrough. Thank you very much.